morning. If you have your Bibles, let me invite you to open with me to Mark chapter 10. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, just slip up your hand on one of our church members. We got a little echo going on. One of our church members will be happy to bring you one. Anybody need one? If this is your first time visiting with us this morning, I just want to extend a welcome to you and say thank you for joining us. Um, we've been working through the Gospel of Mark since last Easter, and we make it a practice as a church to let the scriptures lead us in study. We go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, allowing the scriptures to decide what subject we cover and determine what we call truth. And as the people of God, we're a people who believe that the God of the universe has spoken through words. And as his people, we're dependent on his words. So when we come to the word of God, we don't just look at words that aren't able to speak to our hearts and our circumstances, but these words that we read here are God-breathed words that can sustain you, that can bring you life, and can bring you hope. So when we approach the Word of God, we're not approaching the Word of God so that we can entertain people or pick out what we like, but we're coming to the Word of God because we need God to desperately speak to us and sustain us. The Lord knows exactly what you need this morning, and His Word is living and active to come and meet you in your need. So with that being said, let's direct our eyes to Mark chapter 10. We're going to start reading in verse 1, and we'll read all the way to verse 16. Mark chapter 10, verse 1 says this. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And the crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, what did Moses command you? And Jesus, and they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send them away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And in the house, the disciple asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she marries another, she commits adultery. And then this morning's passage is verse 13. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and he said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Let's just take a moment uh, to pray together. Father, we, uh, we come before you this morning desperate to not be like the disciples who turn away children and desperate to not be like Pharisees who pick out what we like from your word. God, we're desperate for you to pick us up like a child and usher us into your kingdom. We're dependent on you to come and speak to us this morning, Lord. Not a word can come from me, 
There's nothing in me that can cause life, but your words are living. Food for the famished one, freedom for the slave. So bring us your word this morning. We want to see Christ. Show us him, please, in your name. Amen. So in Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12, we see the Pharisees approach Jesus with a question of marriage. They ask him in verse 2, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? You see, they ask this question of Jesus not as a way of actually attaining an answer that is God-glorifying, but it's a way of finding in the scriptures what they think is permissible. And so Jesus sees through their question, and he tells them, Moses gave you that commandment because of your hardness of heart. And Jesus decides to give them a lesson in the meaning of marriage. He says in verse 6, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Last week, Brandon spoke about how God designed marriage to make the gospel visible. The gospel is the reason why marriage between two redeemed but still sinful people can go on. We saw that Christ still pursues us in our sinfulness and lovingly takes us back. And so the husband and wife can extend grace to one another in spite of one another sinning against each other because of the grace they've been shown in Christ. The gospel is the reason why marriages last. Verse 9 says, what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Mark transitions then in verse 13 to a different setting. Jesus is now surrounded by a different group of people along with his disciples. It's interesting that Mark transitions from a teaching about marriage to now a teaching about children. We saw how the gospel was displayed through marriage, and now we will see how the gospel displays in children. So I want you to look at verse 13. It says, And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. A custom at this time would have been for children to be brought to Jewish rabbis by their parents so that their children could receive a blessing from them. And no doubt the parents in the region of Judea hear of the miraculous things that Jesus has done. Maybe they hear of the demon-possessed boy in Mark 9, 26-27 when the boy's convulsing and it's as if he's on the ground dead. And then Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he rose. Or perhaps Jesus, they heard of Jesus restoring the sight of the blind man in Mark 8.25 and how Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and he opened them and his sight was restored. Or perhaps they heard of how Jesus touched the leper in Mark 1.41 and how Jesus was moved with pity so he stretched out his hand and touched the man. These parents desired for their children to be touched by Jesus. But look at verse 13. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. The disciples rebuked them. And that word rebuked in verse uh, 13 is the same word that Mark uses throughout the book of Mark to say Jesus like rebuking a demon or casting out a demon. So why on earth are the disciples rebuking children with the same language that they would use to rebuke a demon. What are they doing? You would think that the disciples have an understanding of the compassionate heart of Christ and they would let the children come to him. But they don't understand this, it seems. So why would the disciples do this? It could be two reasons. One, they see the overwhelming crowd around Jesus and they're trying to do Jesus a favor and keep the crowd back. Or two, they look at these children and they deem them unimportant. 
But as Jesus sees through the intentions of the Pharisees, he also sees through the disciples' intentions. Look what he says in verse 14. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant, and he said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. The first truth that I want you to see from this morning is truth number one. Jesus the king values children. Jesus the king values children. I want you to notice Jesus' reaction to the disciples rebuking these kids in verse 14. He says, but when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. Jesus saw the way these disciples were turning away the kids and he was indignant about it. And to be indignant means that you see a mistreatment of someone and you get upset about it. So Jesus sees his own disciples mistreating these kids and he's upset and he tells them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. One thing that is abundantly clear in this text already is that our king deeply values children. Jesus desires for kids to come to him. But the disciples, his own followers, didn't understand this. They're looking at these kids as if they're unimportant, and they believe Jesus shouldn't waste his time with blessing these kids. But we serve a Savior who is gentle and lowly in heart, and he desires for these kids to come to him without hindrance. If you are a follower of Christ, you have a responsibility to value children. And one of the ways we value children is to lead them to Jesus. An easy way to think about this practically for our church is community kids or youth. We have a responsibility to go on Wednesday night and teach the gospel to these kids. I see some youth in the front row, which is cool, because we teach the gospel to these kids up here. We have a responsibility to do that. And then sometimes it can seem like it's discouraging if we go on Wednesday night and they're cracking jokes or they're running around screaming or they're being disobedient. And we can leave discouraged thinking that the Lord's not using the labor of those that are serving faithfully. But brothers and sisters, we can't adopt the mindset of the disciples and think that this ministry is not worth our time. This labor of serving children and youth is one that our Savior Jesus values deeply. It's a ministry that's worthy of getting your hands in the dirt and discipling these kids. I saw a quote by Charles Spurgeon. He said, you may speak a word to a child. There may be a slumbering, a noble heart that will stir the Christian church in years to come. I want to encourage those that are serving in youth and in children's ministry to keep serving. Keep giving these youth and these kids your all. You may just speak a verse to them that they'll never forget, just a concept of God's character that they will never forget, and it'll carry with them in years to come. And the truth of the matter is these kids that we're discipling, they're the next generation of our church. They could be the next pastor of St. Rose Community Church. So serve them faithfully. Teach them the scriptures. Guide them. The world around them is also speaking into their life, and the world wants to destroy their souls. It doesn't want them following after Jesus. It wants them to be corrupted by the beliefs of the culture. But we have a responsibility to teach them the scriptures. This ministry is valuable. And I also want to encourage the parents that are, in, that are in the room to honor and value the ministry of discipling your kids. 
Proverbs 22, 6 says, train a child up in the way that he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. One thing I will be forever grateful for is the example of my grandparents. They valued discipling their children and their grandchildren. They faithfully brought us to church. They faithfully taught us the scriptures. They acted out Christ with their actions and in their marriage. And one thing I will be, this is, this is a moment I can never forget. I was spending a night over there, and one morning I, I turned the corner, and it was like 5.30, and I look out, and I see them both sitting together. They're not watching TV. They're just sipping coffee, and they both have Bibles open together. And I remember seeing that moment, and I was like, they've been together 50-plus years. What's kept them together? The gospel is the reason why marriages last. They're reading scripture together, and I valued that, and it stuck with me. So parents, I want to encourage you to do the same. Be an example to your children. Show them the beauties of the scripture and how they're more desirable than gold and silver and sports, basketball, football, grades. The scriptures are more valuable than all of that. And the work of discipling them is hard, and it's taxing, and I was probably a disobedient child, and I'm sure my dad can attest to that, that the work was hard, and it was taxing. But Jesus, our King, values them. He desires for them to be brought to him. I want you to look at verses 13 through 14. It says, And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant, and he said to him, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Another interesting concept to why the disciples could be turning these children away is the way that the culture viewed children at this time. One writer said that the, the children were viewed to be insignificant or weak or a least member of society. But we know that Jesus, our Savior, values those who are weak and significant and those that are least. And he says to them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. So the second truth that I want you to see from this text this morning is truth number two. The kingdom of God belongs to the children. The kingdom of God belongs to the children. I want you to notice that term that Jesus uses in verse 14. It's the kingdom of God. And this is not the first time that we've seen Jesus use this term in the book of Mark. Jesus says in Mark 4, 30 through 32, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed. When it is sown on the ground, it is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and it becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds in the air can make nests in its shade. Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God can't be described through a parable. And it's unlike any kingdom that is on this earth. It shatters every social construct of what we think a kingdom should be like and what we think a kingdom should be. Jesus says that the kingdom of God belongs to the children or those that are least. When we think of a kingdom and who a kingdom belongs to, our first thought is not the children running in the streets, but it's those that have power, authority, and, and value. But Jesus is flipping the world's standards on its head, and he's saying to the surrounding crowd and the disciples that this is who the kingdom of God belongs to, and it's not who you think it belongs to. And you can imagine the shock of the disciples as they're hearing this, and they're like, man, we just rebuked 
kingdom belongers. That's not good. And so we must not think like the disciples who keep people from coming to Jesus. Look at verse 14. It says, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Jesus says, let the children come to me. Let the social outcast come to me. Let the burden come to me. Let the hurting come to me. Let them go to Jesus. Don't hinder them. Brothers and sisters, we have no right to decide who the kingdom of God belongs to and who it does not belong to. You may think to yourself, I would never do that. It's just, it's just ridiculous that the disciples would turn away children, and it's ridiculous that they would turn away those who they deemed insignificant. But I wonder how often we do this without even recognizing it. How often do we stand in a line with someone at the grocery store, and we have this news of the kingdom of belonging, and we decide, I shouldn't share with them. Brothers and sisters, you have to realize and recognize and remember that you are also the least of these. I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul says of himself in Ephesians 3, 8. He says, to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. Remember that Christ looked at you when you were insignificant and you were weak and you were dead in your trespasses. And he saw it fit to say, you belong in my kingdom. So be bold, brothers and sisters, to share with those who you think shouldn't be shared with, whether that be a rich man and it seems like he's unattainable to reach or a poor man or a, a beggar. Be bold. Share with those who are the least of these. An important question that we have to ask ourselves when considering who belongs to the kingdom of God is how do we enter into the kingdom of God? I want you to look at verse 15. It says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. I want you to notice the word receive in verse 15. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a gift that you accept. You can't earn your way into the kingdom of God. You don't work your way up the social ladder. Jesus the king gives you an invitation to accept his invitation to enter into his kingdom. And Jesus says you have to receive it but specifically in verse 15, receive it like a child. Why does Jesus tell us to receive the kingdom like a child? And when we think of children, I think that we can think of their innocence or their purity as they haven't been affected by the outside world's worries or its sinfulness, but that couldn't be it because we're all born in sin. So I think that Jesus wants us to see a specific characteristic of a child, and that is dependence. Children are completely dependent on others to take care of them. They can't feed themselves. They can't clothe themselves. They can't change their own diaper. One just had to be carried out of the room so they can't walk. I shouldn't have said that. Here, Jesus is saying that in order to enter into the kingdom of God, one must be completely dependent on Jesus to pick us up and carry us in like a child. So this, the third truth that we see from this text this morning, we enter the kingdom of God through childlike dependence. We enter the kingdom of God through childlike dependence. I want you to look at verse 15 again. It says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. 
Brothers and sisters, we enter into the kingdom of God with our hands up towards Jesus and dependence on him to pick us up and carry us in. We, like children, are helpless, unable to save ourselves from the wrath of God. We must be totally dependent on Jesus to usher us into his kingdom. That's the reason that he came. We, we were never going to be able to take the full cup of wrath that God would pour out over sins. We were never going to be able to kneel in a garden and say, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. We would never be able to lay our life down for another sinner. I want you to listen to Ephesians 2, and this is the simplicity of the gospel. So I want you to hear all the actions that God is doing and what you are to respond in. It says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. This is the simplicity of the gospel. It's not complicated. You are saved by grace through faith. You don't have to clean yourself up to come to Jesus. You don't have to have every biblical doctrine mastered before you come to Jesus. You simply depend on Jesus to forgive you of all your sins because the work that he did on the cross was sufficient for you. It's not your works that you boast, but you must realize that there's nothing you could ever do to enter into the kingdom of God through your own strength. This is why Jesus tells Nicodemus in John 3, 7, you must be born again. We all, all of us, enter into the kingdom of God like an infant, completely dependent on Jesus to take us in. And the work that Jesus did is a dependable work. It's sufficient for us. But for the Christian, dependence doesn't end once you enter into the kingdom of God. We must live in childlike dependence on Jesus. Every morning that we wake up, there's new reasons for us to depend. There's new struggles, new sin struggles, new grace to be shown. And we must daily depend on him. And I'm reminded of the hymn, I need thee every hour. Most gracious Lord, no tender voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee, oh I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. We must walk in humility and depend on Christ to pick us up and carry us each day. We have to depend like the psalmist in Psalm 42 when he says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And I want to encourage you, brother and sister, that even when you fail and the people around you fail, there is one person who is always dependable, always unchanging, no matter what circumstance you're going through, and that is the always dependable Savior, Jesus. And I want you to look at verse 16. It's just beautiful because there was nothing that was going to stop these children from coming to Jesus. Look what verse 16 says. And he took them in his arms and blessed them. 
laying his hands on them. The same Jesus who took these little children in his arms will one day take you into his arms and embrace you. And every worry that you cared for so deeply and every struggle that kept you up at night and every tear that you cried will be erased in his loving, dependable embrace. Jesus, our King, values children. The kingdom of God belongs to the children, and we enter into the kingdom of God through childlike dependence. Before we close this morning, I just want to leave you with three things to consider. The first thing I want you to see and recognize is that we depend on Jesus to value children and youth. Jesus values children, and we as his people have a responsibility to value them. And one of the best ways that we value them is to share the gospel with them and walk with them as they grow in Christ. But the only way you will have the strength to do this is to take a posture of dependence and realize that you're not the one that causes their growth. Unless the Lord does raise the house, in vain the builders strive. If you want to see the youth and the community kids grow in Christ, you must get on your knees in dependence and ask the Lord to do the work. And just want to put a shameless plug in there. Uh, if you're not serving in youth and community kids, you should serve. We need help. <laughs> so you should just consider that. Maybe that's the way that you respond this morning. Uh, the second truth that, our second takeaway that I want you to see from this text is to lay down your pride and depend on Jesus. Dependence is a hard thing. Dependence is saying that you need someone else to do something that you cannot do on your own strength. But in our pride, we don't want to admit that. But we need Jesus. For the unbeliever in the room, you need Jesus. You cannot save yourself from the wrath of God. And you know that your pride is telling you, I don't need Jesus. Or Jesus doesn't want me. But you need him. The Savior that welcomes children has his arms open up to you. And he's saying, come to me. So lay down your pride and admit your need for him. Depend on Jesus. And for the Christian in the room, we're still in the flesh. We still struggle with sin. We still struggle with pride. We're not free from the grips of our sinfulness. So we must daily ask the Lord to give us strength and wisdom and love for him that we do not possess on our own strength. So Christian, lay down your pride depend on Jesus. And the last takeaway that I want you to see from this text this morning is takeaway number three. Rest, because Jesus is dependable. It's hard, though, to rest when you feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. Maybe you feel like everyone's depending on you to hold it all together. Or maybe you're depending on your own strength just to get through one more day. But brother and sister, that's, that's not a weight that you have to bear on your own. Put all of that on the shoulders of Jesus. He's able to bear it. His arms are open to you so that you can come and fall into his sweet embrace. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to fake it with Jesus. He knows. Cast all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He finds joy when you come to him. 
He will not fail you. He's faithful, and he is dependable. Why don't you just look at Mark 10, 13 through 16 one more time. It says, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them, and Jesus said to them, but when Jesus saw it, he was indignant, and he said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms, and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. You know, I feel like it'd be inappropriate for us this morning to close without getting in a posture of dependence and getting on our knees and asking the Lord for help. So if you're able, I just want to invite you to get on your knees. I'm going to kneel right here, and I'm going to give us a moment of silence, and then I'll pray, and then the worship team can come.